Howdy folks, welcome back to the podcast. Today we get to answer some more of your questions and oftentimes these episodes turn into our favorite episodes because we get to hear what you're thinking, some of the concepts you're throwing around your household and the conversations you're having with your spouse and then we get to have those conversations here in real time. So we're looking forward to this. And once again, Katie hasn't really previewed all the questions she's going to ask me nor have I previewed the questions I'm going to ask her or you know what I'm saying like the other person doesn't know the questions that they're going to be asked. Oh yeah. You and know, I didn't like, know I was specifically even asking you questions. I was just going to ask some of the questions. Oh, got it. Oh, that makes sense. We can, so you're, you're just asking anybody and then you'll answer <laughs> this it. This is really unscripted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can phrase them. So I'm asking them to you. That totally works. Okay. I, there's, I don't think there's a wrong way to phrase them. So just do it how you're planning on it. Folks, we do want to thank you so much for supporting this podcast through ratings and reviews or if you watch on YouTube for subscribing or liking the video or, or commenting below, that again gives us so many ideas. When we get to see conversations happening in the comment uh, feed, that's so great. And also for those of you that have gone to iTunes and left a rating or a review, that's how we've been able to grow this podcast and it's how it's reached more people. And that encourages Katie and myself. And hopefully it's encouraging more families around the world because Katie and I are becoming more and more convinced that God's design for the family is pretty awesome and very special. And yet it seems to be, not seems to be, we know for a fact that it is under attack. So if we can in some small way encourage families, we want to do that. We love being encouraged. We want to continue growing our family. So we're grateful that you're a part of this journey with us. Anyways, let's get going. The Now That We're a Family Podcast. Okay, so I'm going to kick it off here. We're just going to dive right in. And we're going to talk about circumcision first. Okay, Okay. so what's funny is we've gotten so many questions about circumcision. And so I'm not even going to read like one specific one off because there were a lot of them. I think it's funny when we announced we were having our fourth boy, though, it kind of makes sense that you guys are all asking what we're hmm. doing. Cause I was like, where are all these, com- all these questions coming from all of a sudden? Yes. And, um, we aren't going to like specifically name names, like, and share super personal medical history with our kids. Yeah. You know, like so-and-so is this, so-and-so doesn't, we've had sure. kind of a array of situations <laughs> going on. An assortment. An assortment. Of- <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess, I mean, if this is helpful to you guys, then we'll talk about it. So we'll just tell you where we're at, right? Elisha, do you want to say like what your thoughts are on circumcision? Sure. And for those that maybe have a a strong conviction about this, um, this might be an anticlimactic answer because I don't know where we're at conviction wise. I mean, maybe you can share, but I currently don't have a strong conviction one way or the other. Uh, Yeah. Circumcision is kind of like a secular, like we made it secular. What I mean is we didn't have a lot of like spiritual reasons to circumcise or not circumcise based on like what we read in the Bible. It Mm -hmm. was just kind of a practical decision for us. Yeah. So uh, I'll share my medical history. So I was circumcised (laughs) as a baby and, uh, it's just, you know, it's what's what I knew. And so I guess I didn't question whether or not we were going to circumcise uh, when we started having kiddos and that kind of led to, like you said, a variety of results, like the, 
the modifications vary in the males in our home. And so we started out thinking, okay, we'll circumcise because we want the boys to just look like their daddy. That was basically all of our, I mean, I read up on it and I couldn't find real definitive evidence either way here in the 21st century. Um, the arguments seem pretty split on all the sides. Hmm. And so we were like, well, let's just, let's stick with matching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we went down the road a little ways and we had a new kind of circumcision, which we had no clue there were different types of circumcision. Yeah. And this one is basically a half oh, job. Yes. It's, it's, it's only a little bit more than a ripoff really. So. <laughs> so anyways, so then we have this child with the circumcision that is totally different than the other boys. And we're like, okay, well, to, it, at this point, I'm sick of taking these little boys to the doctor and hearing them scream. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? We've got an assortment at this point. They aren't all going to match. So why don't we just stop circumcising from here on out? Really? That's where you're currently at. We haven't no, talked about this. No, this is where I was. Oh. This is where I was. And I felt like very confident, like there's no point in this anymore. We have modern showers and cleanliness protocols and like we don't need to worry about this that's mm -hmm. kind of where I was at let's stop going through the trauma with these little babies and then um the child that had the unique circumcision job kept getting infected mm, you're right over and over and over and it wasn't like we weren't changing his diaper or anything like that he would have a dirty diaper at a nap and then wake up and have this flaming infection. And that really freaked me out. Yes. <laughs> and so it's just been a lot higher maintenance situation for us. And so at that point I went back to like, okay, I read some stuff on how many adult males have to end up getting circumcised later in life due to, you know, just complications or infections or stuff like that. And I just, at this point, like with this one, I'm just like, okay, we might as well just do it when they're babies and yeah. call it good. And maybe, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at because, because we've had the troubled child situation. Yeah. And hopefully again, you know, we probably won't go back to the same doctor that did kind no, of the discount job. Like <laughs> I don't want that one. No, neither do I. The uh, new style. He said it was the new style. Yeah. He called it something. I forget what it was called, but. He explained the whole thing and we're just like, yeah, yeah, we get we get it. We have come to find out though, because this is the deal, especially with circumcision doctors, is you don't want to go to the discount circumcision doctors because a lot of times they end up working for tips. And so <laughs> you know, you gotta go to the more <laughs> not Okay, we can cut that out. Um anyways, oh, yeah, I think I'm on the same page with you on all of that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean I've looked into all the holistic reasons not to, all the reasons to, and we're just kind of like, you know, at this point, we're going to go with what has been the most straightforward for us. Yeah. And obviously, you know, circumcision is talked about in the Bible. And so I'm sure there are many uh, convictions or, you know, uh, viewpoints on this that are more based in uh, biblical concepts. Um, but as far as we can tell, the Bible 
doesn't as Christians and then, and you know, in Christ, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. So I don't know, you know, and the benefits, I don't know. So, yeah, I think it was for cleanliness. Well, you were set apart as a Jew, right? So you were set apart. It was that covenantal um, mark, mark, which is awesome. And then also there were cleanliness reasons. Yes. um, Back in the day. But yeah. yeah, so anyways, that's just kind of like our experience with circumcision. But it does seem like when Gentiles were saved and the, you know, I forget who was like pressuring them to get circumcised. Paul was like, hey, just give them, give them a break. Don't, they're, they're fine. You know, like, oh, don't. yeah, well, it, and, and when so, you're not under the old law anymore. Yeah. So I wasn't going to get now. into all of that, but. Yeah, well, we don't. I, yeah, I, obviously, <laughs> I haven't thought that much about it. I don't want to have um, like a yeah, biblical uh, debate over yeah, this right I. now. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question, Katie. <laughs> okay. Men, the Growth Initiative is now open for enrollment. The Growth Initiative is a six-week live coaching program for men that are looking to grow in areas of parenthood, in areas of provision, in areas of health, in areas of financial freedom and well-being, really in areas of life that matter most to you. When I look at my life and I think of my faith, my marriage, my my parenting, my physical health, my financial growth and, and ability to provide for my family, I know that in order to see growth in those areas, I've got to have a systematic approach to it. So when I look at my ideals and my dreams, those are only good to me if I'm able to break down an actionable plan that I can then execute. And that's what the growth initiative is all about. Customizing your actionable plan to see growth in the areas of life that matter most to you. So if you're a Christian man and you're a husband and you're a father and you want to grow in those areas of life that I already referred to, hop on over. I'll link it below and you'll be able to find a timeline that works for you. Like I said, this is a live coaching program, six weeks long with live calls each week, along with tools and resources to help you up your game in those areas that matter most to you. And you can enroll in whatever time session, whatever time session, whatever session works for you time-wise. How has your home life changed since decreasing your online work? Well, I don't know. That might be a good question to ask you, actually. It might be, but first I'm (laughs) I'm asking it to you. Okay. Um, I was joking with Elisha about this and I was like, well, I just have my kids do a lot more school (laughs) because now I'm like, you're going to achieve this greatness in you. Um, but no, I am. So I love everything I get to do. Basically work was a creative outlet for me. It was, um, intellectually stimulating. It was achievement based. Those are all the things I loved about work, you know, and it's funny because we were on a podcast recently and Elisha mentioned that I don't work very much anymore. And the gal said, well, she does work. She does work in the home, you know, and it was sweet of her to clarify that, but it was funny because I really don't see homemaking as work. It takes a lot of effort and it can make you tired and stuff like that, but it's not the emotional drain or the um, like deadline drain that work is, I guess. And so I really enjoy it. I view it as a hobby that I get to get better and better and better at. And I find a lot of fulfillment there. So like, I love cooking now. And it turns out that I think I didn't like it before because I was working and then it, it was like, great, everyone's hungry and I don't have any food. But now when I get to put in 
creativity and effort and kind of go through a more slow food approach instead of what's the fastest thing I can possibly pull together right now. There's a lot of creativity in that. There's a lot of fulfillment in that. And um, with the kids' academics coming up with, you know, they're little right now. But thinking ahead to the future and then working backwards and thinking, okay, this is where I want them to be. How do I get them there? How do I keep them excited? How do we work through these concepts? Um, I love that. Super intellectually stimulating for me. Um, and again, all my like little projects around the house, basically where I used to have a lot of lists for what it, what I needed to do for work. I just have lists for a lot of projects that we do in our home. And I feel very like my achievement metrics in my brain or whatever are being met when I'm crossing off those lists. So I don't know. I really enjoy it. Wow. I feel like you've cracked the code. You've got like all the fulfillment with, with none of the stress is how you're making it yeah, sound. Yeah, I, I truly feel that way because there's, it's more forgiving. I mean, obviously there are stressful moments, especially like when you have a newborn and stuff like that. I'm anticipating some of this is going to change because you have a baby that does have demands on you. Like I need to eat right now or mm. something like that. Like I'm the witching hour comes or whatever. And that's kind of a stressful time. So there are seasons like that, but I feel like for the last year, I've been in a season where it's been just very fun. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. From my perspective, you have always kept the home so great. You know, it's been such a spot of inspiration and rest and rejuvenation. And you've always provided such great meals. Uh, for the family. And if anything, it just seems like, so that hasn't changed. Like that was never not there when you were working online. And mm. <laughs> no, I mean, that's Elisha choosing to be gracious. No, it's always been great. I think you've only improved like your quality mm-hmm. with like cooking yeah. and ingredients and stuff like that. But it seems like the energy that maybe you were once putting into business and working, you're just now pouring into homeschooling. I feel like that's where the most the biggest time shift has gone. Yeah. The biggest time shift has been towards the kiddos, uh, education. Yeah. And then I would say food. I put a lot more thought and time and effort into food now. Yeah. And I'd be lying to say that it hasn't improved (laughs) tremendously. It it is nuts. Katie and I were just talking about this because, uh, I, I used to hear people say like, Oh, date nights are fun, but it's, it's tough because there's no restaurants that, you know, like have good meals. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like there's tons of restaurants that have good meals. But after the last like six to eight months of like your cooking, which has been off the charts, tasty and quality, I'm starting to see like it's more anticlimactic now when we like go out on a date and we try to find a restaurant that's really, you know, fun and exciting. So yeah, I, I really feel like I eat like a king at home. It is, it is so good and it's so fun. It's interesting. And tell you what, that's, yeah, it's a luxury. Thank you. I do feel it is a luxury and you do a good job providing good groceries for us. Starts there. It's a worthy, worthy thing to put money (laughs) towards. Okay. So someone, okay, let me see here. It was my turn to ask a question here. Um, I had one that I wanted to talk about, but I'm not sure if it's like I would. Can we just keep going then? (laughs) Like, are you going to keep stumbling around with your words? Okay. Someone asked here how to manage the gift givers. We have so many toys and clothes gifted to us. We're grateful for family's generosity, but both sides are overwhelmingly gift heavy. Hmm. And then someone else asked up here. Um, 
what do parents and family get your kids for birthday and Christmas gifts if they aren't getting them toys and graphic clothing? Hmm. What, what, what do you say? No, what would you say? Well, we've, again, we haven't really been put in that situation before. So I can't speak from experience because your parents and my parents and grandparents for that matter, give such practical and helpful and tasteful gifts which mm-hmm. is a huge blessing. They give quality clothes or books. There have been a couple toys that have snuck into the home, but they're so few and far between. It's not hard for you and I to let the kids like just kind of have that be their thing for that, for that moment. And we keep it in the house. We haven't had to like throw out. I don't think any, I have. Oh, you have from family. I have from family. Oh, from family. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just a couple times though. Okay. So yeah, I would, I would agree with everything you said. That's like our norm, but I would say I don't hesitate at all. If we get something, you know, you mentioned like a graphic t-shirt or whatever. We got this one graphic t-shirt and it was like such a surprise because (laughs) that never happens. And I just put it in the giveaway bag right Mm -hmm. away and didn't let the kids get attached to it. And there were other things for them to enjoy. So another thing that we might do if we do get toys or gifts or even I will buy toys and then like regret it. Oh, for sure. Like, I've, I'd say I've, that happens way more than the gifting. I'll bring stuff into our home and be like, this is a piece of junk. Why did I think this was a fun idea? Yeah. Yeah. And then there was, I think one of the kids, you know, sweet friends came to a birthday party a little while back and they brought this battery powered uh, I'm not going to say what it was. Yeah, but, battery powder toy. Yeah. The, <laughs> that was but, the favorite. Yeah, it was a favorite. And I was like, we cannot live with this thing at all. And that, that thing went in the trash quickly. But yeah, as far as like family members or consistency, we haven't experienced this. So I don't know. I mean, I think that if they hopefully see your values, then they can start to be more sensitive to that. Like if you're really living out the values of more classic um, clothes and styles and, you know, trying to be more of a minimalistic environment in your home. Um, it seems like they would, they would hopefully catch on. Yeah. But if they don't, this is what I would say. Don't hesitate to just like let your kids enjoy it for a little bit and then they don't see it again. And they're Mm -hmm. like, where did it go? Just give it away. Just give Mm -hmm. it away. You know, like you don't have to keep something just because it was a gift. The blessing it's, they get the gift or they get the blessing in giving you the gift and seeing the child light up and the child's excited, let them play for it with it for a good solid two weeks or wear it for a solid two weeks. And then it's just like, it's gone and you just took it away. Yeah. That's, that would be my advice. And we have done that. Yeah. And I mean, maybe grandparents are like looking forward to coming over and seeing their kids playing with the toy they bought them last oh, month. Oh, I just like a softy. I just, well, no, I- you, uh, if you have trying. an influx of all this stuff though, you've just got to give it away. Yeah. And I I'll, will say one of, um, your sisters is really good about this because she has someone who's constantly bringing gifts Got it. and she just does a good job of letting the kids play with it and give it away. And I've been really inspired by that. Nice. There you go. Not so keeping it in the example. home. Yeah, I have. I, I tell you what though, I am grateful that we don't, we don't face that because I don't do well when there's a ton of plasticky battery powered loud toys yeah another thing is you could just take the batteries out that's what my mom always did Mm. that's what we did with this one toy for a while we let them play with it but we just took the batteries out like here go have fun with the toy (laughs) great okay was that your did you ask that one i did it was just 
but I know I answered it too. See, I didn't well, pick great. mine based on specifics. Uh, again, I didn't. Yes, we're just ask. We're just bringing up questions that have been asked. Yes. So, okay, that's good. Okay, this is. I feel like there was four. I wrote down four questions that all kind of seem like they have the same theme here. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Maybe I'll read all of them. Does okay. That sound good? Okay. okay. Sure. Um, do you ever get tired of trying to be so intentional? How to practice that? So that was one. And then the other one was how to practice more self-discipline. And the other one was, how do you balance it all? I find myself implementing then failing. Then another one was, do you guys ever relax or what do you guys do to relax? It seems like you're always so productive all of the time. So again, those aren't the same question, but I feel like there's kind of a theme. Wouldn't you say with all of these? And first off, we do relax and we do rest. That is a necessity of life. I mean, I think that the implementation of the Sabbath into our life has been one of the most uh, life-giving and, yeah, just uplifting things that we've ever implemented into our life. And that is like a definitive a definitive 24-hour rest period that is truly rejuvenating. And I think something else that we've gotten better at is identifying what is actually rejuvenating and what is not. And so a lot of times I think that we will default to things that we would categorize as relaxing that are not rejuvenating and they're actually not life-giving. And so for us, that could be social media is like the most obvious one. There is nothing rejuvenating about social media, about scrolling or about, you know, you even like the YouTube feed. And so that was an easy one to identify, you know, a couple of years back where we're like, this cannot be a part of a rejuvenation day or of a period set aside for rejuvenation. Um, and then really just anything we've found that is pertaining to a screen. It can be relaxing sometimes and, and maybe even rejuvenating to watch a good movie. And so we'll, we'll do that. But kind of like the frivolousness that can oftentimes come from being on a computer is not rejuvenating and life-giving. And so this it's again, I, I know that this sounds like we're taking all the fun out of relaxation. Cause I think that that's how I viewed it before is, is like, well, boy, I just want to be able to, what if I want to scroll, you know, social media, or what if I want to just, you know, like watch a game or do something that's on a screen. But then when I started reaping the benefits of true rejuvenation, it made me fall far more in love with that type of rest. What about you? Yeah. So you really train your appetites. And when we have these cravings, it's like when you have cravings for unhealthy food, you just want more and more and more of it, even though, excuse me, it makes you feel poorly. Where when you start to eat better, then you crave that more and more and more. And you realize, wow, I'm not even craving the junk over here. Uh, and I feel so good. And I think of that when it comes to intentionality that was mentioned on here. I think that the more intentional we are, the more we can actually find things that are truly restful for us. Like, it's funny, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I got up early this morning, we were up till midnight last night working on, I don't know. <laughs> were you going to reveal the, no, the new we have something the new so program? Fun coming. I don't know it. I don't know if we're going to reveal it on this podcast or not, if it will be out, you guys will see an ad on the podcast when it's ready. But anyways, we were up till midnight and I was laying in bed and I was like, the number one thing I need to do tomorrow is get up early so I can go on my walk. And it's sad. It's, um, it's sunny right now. It's summer. It's beautiful outside. And so that's something that I know when I go and I walk for an hour, 
I just feel so rested and so rejuvenated and it's way more restful to me than sleeping. And so there's things like that. Like that's why we've gotten so into reading books is because of all those other things that you mentioned, we realized, oh, this is coming at a cost. We're more fatigued afterwards. So that intentionality sets you up to be able to truly rest and reading a good book is not work. It is entertaining. It's an enjoyable. Um, Elisha actually got me a free day the other day for Mother's Day, which is so sweet. He booked a hotel and I got to spend the whole day there. Um, so yes, sometimes I'm a gluttony. <laughs> I'm a glutton when it comes to rest. And the whole day, like I didn't watch anything. I didn't turn on my computer. I just read. I got some good books at a bookstore. I walked, I worked out and I wrote because I know those are the things that just I love to do. And there's no side effects to any of that kind of rest. And I just felt like I came away with so many, so much clarity, so many new ideas, so ready for like the world to hit. So anyways, I don't know. I feel like you read off so many things there yeah, that I would have answered differently. Sure. Probably. I'll, I'll, I'll break them down. That wasn't fair. I don't know why I put this so, all in the same category. Well, I do want to say too, kind of together. So rejuvenation is a big deal that I think Katie and I have both identified. She said some things that are truly rejuvenating. You said there's no side effects to that kind of rest. Now, when it comes to leisure or re, you know just relaxing, I think because I, I categorize relaxing and rejuvenating in di- different ways. I will say a regular part of my evening routine, even on like our ultra structured, you know, highly productive days, there is set aside time for me to relax and stuff that I still enjoy sometimes, you know, whatever, whether it's too much or not too much, I still enjoy following sports. And so I've designated a time in the evening, usually while I'm prepping my next day, I'll be out prepping my quiet time space or getting my clothes out. And I'm usually listening to, um, like sports recap, like sports talk, uh, like podcasts or watching highlights from, from those, that day's games or something like that. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't watch whole games hardly ever. That's like a fun treat, um, where where I'll actually watch a game, but I definitely in the evening have time where I'm spending 20 or 30 minutes, you know, watching sports highlights or listening to a recap of what happened that day. And so I don't want to act like I never do you know, leisure type things that are just kind of like self-serving in that way or not productive because I I do that all the time. And, and I I would say like as a general rule in the evenings, when Elisha does that, I go to shower, I turn on a YouTube video from some of my favorite YouTubers or a podcast and I watch it while I'm in the shower. And that's really a fun thing for me to do too. So it's not like I never watch any media or anything either. I don't want to set that expectation. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's some stuff we do to relax. And then, like you said, you and I both enjoy going to bed early enough to watch a good movie, like, especially on Saturday nights. That's kind of like a thing that we do. I would say to watch a good movie. It's so that has become so so much more rare for us though, because we can't find good movies. So I like when people recommend a movie and they're like, Oh, let's watch that. Movie recommendations, drop them, (laughs) drop them down below, drop them in the comments. So I'd say like we have gone through seasons where it's like, 
oh, you find a show or something like that and it's fun to follow along for a while. But I'm at a point in my life and I have been for a while where I would rather go to bed at 8.30 so I can get up at 5.30. Yes. Or I would rather read, which unwinds you way quicker. So you unwind in like 15 minutes and are ready to go to bed instead of a two-hour movie. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I just, a movie's a fun treat, but it's maybe like... Once every couple of weeks for us right now. I'd say so. And, and again. And sometimes I don't enjoy it as much as I would have if I'd just gone to bed. And we both sometimes will really feel like a movie and yeah. we'll start looking. And we both know within like two or three minutes of looking that they're like, nah, this, if we haven't found one or we don't know what we're looking for, we're not going to go down this route anymore. So we're usually like really pumped about the movie yeah. that we're watching like we've been wanting to do it and i i don't know and we've yeah there's been some good ones i think recently oh, yeah like there's yeah. yeah every once in a while a blind squirrel finds a nut yeah well we know <laughs> we're we not doing it, it blindly i feel like we'll we'll it'll be you know advertised for months to come and we'll be like oh we're excited to watch that yes or it'll be recommended yeah. something like that um but i will say we kay. go to bed pretty early now and that's a big thing when you aren't coming up with something to do in your evenings I would way, I love trading our evening time of like wasted time of like two to three hours and trading that for morning time of two to three hours. Amen. Like that is life changing. It is. I love what I do in the mornings and in the evenings, maybe it's great. We have a fun time and maybe it's like, wow, I don't feel great. And now I'm going to bed late. So same. Yeah. If we can be in bed at eight 30, oh, that is so great. And then we've both got a good book, you know, that we can just like read until we get tired or we can chat or we can, you know, get distracted with hey, others. Just <laughs> <keep> <laughs> no, just, I, just I, every going. part of life is better when we go to bed earlier. Like, yeah, I think. Okay. Should I read some of these other ones? Yeah, sure. Okay. How do you practice more self-discipline? And then this other one was, do you ever get tired of trying to be so, of being so intentional? No, I think that the more intentional we get, the more I love it. Mm. I mean, intention is just like doing what you've actually thought about doing. So intention is basically sitting here in the moment and objectively thinking, this is going to serve my life. This is who I want to be. This is what fuels me instead of reacting in the moment. And so all the things that you're intentional about, intentional about are like things you enjoy or core values or things that serve you. And so the more that you're able to implement that into your life, the more fulfilling and rewarding life is, in my opinion, instead of being bounced around by like, I guess I'll do this now. I guess I'll do this now. I guess I'll do this now. I'm not bound to the intentions because I can change them. So if I'm like, this intention is not serving me or our family, then we get rid of it. But at most things that we come up with intentionally are things that we really enjoy and love. And that's, they're the things that add all the value to our lives. Amen. I a hundred percent agree. And I think when I used to think about intentionality or a structured life. I always equated that to being a life that lacked spontaneity or lacked freedom. And it's quite the opposite. The more structure and intentionality you have in your life, the more freedoms created in the areas you want freedom. And sometimes it might not look inspirational when you see somebody else that's got a structured life because their ideals are different than yours. And so it probably will look different or it probably won't look as appealing when you're like, Oh, that's what a structured life looks like. Or that's what an intentional life looks like. I don't want that. But then when you're able to customize your intentional life or your structured life, you're like, no way. I get to do all these things that are so life giving and rewarding and fun and impactful 
that's great. I've got more and more freedom. And I, I think a good analogy is, you know, we, we aren't the best budget people here to, to, you know, to speak to, but we've gone through seasons of being pretty good at budgeting, you know, when we've, when we've really wanted to be on the same page. And I was blown away with how fun spending money is when you are on a very yes. dialed in budget. When you know you've got money allotted for something, how much freedom there is in that. When you go out to dinner, you're like, no way, we, you know, save $22. This is designated for our date night. It's a blast spending that guilt-free. And I feel that way just about our days. Like I mentioned, being able to uh, listen to sports or, or watch sports highlights for 20 minutes every night, that is so rewarding because I've planned on it. Like I'm, I've structured that into my life rather than kind of having a guilty conscience and being like, oh, should I pull up YouTube in the middle of the afternoon and, or check the scores on ESPN? Like, is that a good use of time? Now I just get to, with a clear conscience, enjoy it because of the structure that we have in our life. Yeah, and it's things like, okay, when you know exactly what you want to get done in a day and you get those things done and it's like Elisha... I'll call him up at work or he'll call me up and be like, Hey, what if I came home at three and we all go on a family bike ride to the river? It's like, yes, great. Cause again, there's no like monkey hanging on your back. You know, you've done it all. So it makes rest a lot more restful. And I don't know. I like it. We're actually pretty spontaneous, yeah, but we I, have certain things that are non-negotiables within that. Yeah, exactly. And they're usually like end caps to the week. Exactly. It's the beginnings and ends of things. I would say that's where we're less spont- spontaneous. Spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So like the beginning of a week, we kick off our weeks kind of the same way with the way we plan the end of our weeks. We end with a Sabbath rest. Um, our mornings, Elisha and I are very structured with our mornings and our evenings. Yes. Uh, and those really help us set up our days, but our days can be pretty fluid within that. Yeah, exactly. And, and the fact is that there is a lot of spontaneity out out of the nature of, because we've, I think if Katie and I were isolated and there was no other people in our life that we cared about, we would create a very structured life that like didn't have a lot of margin for everybody in the world. Right. But we value people. We love people. And so we've definitely structured in spontaneity into our life because we've got family members bombing through Coeur d'Alene unexpectedly all the time. I mean, just this week, actually, I've got a sister and a brother um, that are coming through town and we want to be able to, oh yeah, drop everything, get lunch with them, have them come over, meet them for coffee, um, you know, go for a bike ride with them, go to the lake with them. And so the more we can count on like our morning time and our evening time or our Sabbath or our Sunday uh, planning session together, the easier it is to know when you can say yes to those people coming through town or doing something spontaneously. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's good. Okay. Elisha, do you worry about boys and girls sharing their rooms together? How to navigate that? Yeah, I think we're pretty thoughtful about that. I mean, I'll I'll just answer it for myself then you can answer it. I think it's something that I've been conscientious of since having, you know, a daughter. So we've got almost four boys now and then our daughter. And I want there to be some healthy separation and privacy, especially as they get older. I mean, we do that now even, you know, and I'm grateful for that. Leon's six, Lucy's five. And I'm grateful that we've got Lucy in her own room and the boys in their, in, in their own room. And I, and I want to be able to really lean into that, having their own space and privacy. That's how I grew up. And I think that it makes you... Yeah, your family had a big boys' room and a big girls' room. Yes, exactly. I, I think it, it just helps from an early age. Uh, establish that clarity in the, in the difference. Like you just know, there was like this healthy respect of 
of females from a young age of like, oh, they're different. They need their privacy. You know, like we're, we're in the boys room here. Like there, it was very definitive in my, in my young age as to like boys and girls and the gender, gender difference and stuff like that. Yeah. So I have a little different experience growing up because we lived in some very small homes with 11 kids and my brothers were kind of interspersed within all of us girls. Like we were mainly a girl household. (laughs) And so because that at one point we lived all, all of my teen years, we lived in a three bedroom, 1800 square foot uh, cabin. And so there were two rooms and they were pretty small. And so it wasn't like we could fit eight girls in one. And then the three boys were going to get their own. Um, at, at, when we moved in, I think there were only two boys, so it didn't really make sense. So the walk-in closet was turned into the boys room and they actually slept on the floor in sleeping bags. But like during the night, they'd always worm their way out and end up on the floor in the girls room. And that was just kind of like how my family made it work. I know there's a lot of big families that the boys and girls share rooms out of necessity. I don't think it's super ideal. I think it's really awesome when you can have kind of a boy's wing and a girl's wing. And that's what we would like to do in our home. Um, but I think being in tune to your kids' development mental stages too, because at this point, um, the boys, we had little boys in a older girl's room. Does that make sense? We were all kind of more like mother hens to our little brothers. It yep. wasn't like I'm 12 and he's 10 or something like that. Yeah. You know, like I would be way more on the alert uh, if the kids are really close in age and they're young Mm -hmm. and curious and all those things, um, that would be a situation I'd be pretty wary of. Yeah. Cause I mean, you even, yeah, you hear kids all the time, you, you hear them behind closed doors. You're like, okay, you be the mommy. I be the daddy. You're like, okay, let's keep the door open here. Like, and again, I think the majority of the time it's innocent, it's fun. And like, they move on with their lives. Um, you know, after playing but mommy no and daddy, kid is but beyond being curious yes. about the, the opposite sex. Exactly. Like I, I just, period. I, and I don't think, yeah, exactly. Like, and so I, I'm expecting my kids to be healthy, have healthy, you know, um, a healthy perspective on sexuality and of marriage and of whatever the male body and the female body. I want them to have healthy perspectives on those things. And yet I also know that, you know, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so you're like, okay, this is baked into the equation with most kids where there's just this curiosity that is kind of foolish, you know, and it, and it can lead to some, yeah, inappropriate things. Yeah. So I like, yeah. So that's anyways, I do think it's ideal to have them in separate rooms. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, should, do you think this is, they're asking our opinion. Do you think the public should see you as you see yourself and to what extent? Do you think the public should see you how you see yourself? Like how much of our life should we share or not share? What do you think? Um, that is really interesting. I don't know. The way it's phrased is like just throwing me for a loop here. So like, do we think those who watch us online should see us how we live our lives? I think that's what they're asking. Like maybe like the Truman show. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think, 
I don't know. Maybe they're getting, they're asking like, do, do you think you should be raw? Like, do you, should you share the good, the bad and the ugly, like everything, air the dirty laundry? I don't know. Maybe that's, that's what I, that's how I took it. Yeah. I think like, you're always going to like see yourself differently than public perception of you. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just, and we were talking about that on the way over here. There's so many things that you just have to let go when it comes to perception and be like, you know what, over time, this is going to all play out Mm -hmm. and we know where we're at. We know where we're headed. And sometimes it's not worth trying to control the perception. Sure. I guess sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just kind of like, you know what, time's going to, time's going to tell. I don't think that, no, I definitely don't think, I mean, whenever you're putting a camera in your home or you're having someone into your home, like say we invite you guys over for dinner, right? And my kids are not going to be running around in their underwear like they were two hours before you got there. And my house is going to be clean and I'm going to have makeup on and the house is going to smell good. And because I am rolling out a carpet of hospitality for you. And I think that that is something that is healthy Mm -hmm. (laughs) is this hospitality aspect of communication and having people into your life. Um, and so to me, that's kind of where, that's what we see, what we do online is kind of a form of hospitality. It's not like, um, a best, like people might have different goals when they go online. Like maybe they're looking for friends. And so you want to cry with your friends. You want to tell your friends everything that's going on in your life. You want to, you know, have that support when you're going through a hard time or something. So they might have a different goal when they go on social media and are, sharing their life publicly. And so they do want to cry and share their heartaches and all those things. We have like in-person people. We do that too. That's not something that I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and <laughs> like, even, even with that, and I, even that we're, that's not our style. Like we, we're not like big time criers or get with people and just talk about how hard life is. Like if we're going through a hard season, we talk about it with each other and maybe, and we might seek counsel from one or two people that we really respect yes. if we're like running up against a exactly running up against something for and that's sure. usually one of our parents and it's like a phone call and it's yeah and i'm not and i'm tr- I'm not trying to say that we're like not emotional people we are but it's with each other it's usually yeah. but neither one of us are prone to like wanting a we don't want of if we going back to like if we had you over for dinner we wouldn't want there to be like a part where we're crying you know, like where we're just like getting so vulnerable again, if that happens, so be it. But that's not like something that we would, we wouldn't, we wouldn't consider that like, Oh, we, we really got real tonight because we were crying. Like, I don't think that being real has to mean like crying <laughs> and like being, uh, yeah, and being, I don't think being that's all like vulnerable. Totally what the question was saying, but I think you could be honest without, um, while keeping people like I'm being honest to this point. I'm not, you know, there's things that Elisha and I have between ourselves that we don't talk about with our parents. We don't Mm -hmm. talk about with our kids. It doesn't mean we're not honest with our kids. We are honest with our parents. It's just, there's stuff between us. And I think each relationship has that, has that just straight up. There's things we talk about with our parents, but we don't talk about with our siblings. And that doesn't mean we aren't being honest with our siblings or being who we are with our siblings. There's different depths to relationship that are healthy. And so I do think we're a hundred percent who we are, for instance, with you guys, with our listeners. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're going to tell you everything. 
Yeah, exactly. Because of the nature of the relationship. Yes. Right? Yeah, I think that was well said. And I, and I do think that the whole hospitality analogy is, or it's not really analogy because I think that's what it is. I think it's just the best way to put it because I, I would not consider it strange if people had us over for dinner and we came over and they had, you know, put clean the kitchen before we came over or, you know, set the table nicely. If anything, like they, if it's a little nicer than what they would typically do on a, on a family dinner night, I'd be honored. I'm like, Oh, that was thoughtful of you to put forth more Respectful. effort. Yeah. I feel like I'd feel respected and, and honored in that, in that way. Now, if something happens in the middle of the week and you, you need a, we need help. And so they're like, Hey, can you swing by and help us? I got to move my, you know, my wash machine. I'm trying to move it. Can you come by really quick? And a friend comes by like in it's middle of the day and our kids aren't dressed up as normal, you know, and there's a little bit more like the, the yard's not picked up like it was when he came over for dinner. I think they would get that context to do. They'd be like, yes, this exactly. is different. This is a spontaneous thing. And a family th- in the middle of the day is different than a family in the evening when they invite somebody over for dinner. I would just like, say in our home, a family in the middle of the day is just different than a family in the evening. Yeah. You know, like our house is picked up in the evening, yeah. middle of the day. It's not. Uh, so, yeah. So, and what I'm saying is that I don't think that friend is saying like, oh, now I see the real you. I see, yeah. I see what you guys are actually like in the middle of the day when you're not prepared. They just get the context. All the toys out in the yard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, like, yeah, if, if people met us in person, like we would have, we would be the same people. And like, hopefully would they, we've met yeah. a lot of you guys in person. And it's like, but then would they also see things that we haven't shown online? Yeah, probably too. You know, like there's probably, there's probably conversations that we, you know, they haven't heard us have before and, and whatnot. So yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Okay. I don't know how, how long we've done this. This episode? I'm going to have, let's see here. Okay. Let's do two more real quickly. Okay. Um, how do you handle Sabbath when you plan to travel? Any guilt if you can't take it? Yeah, we, I don't think I've ever felt guilt for not taking a Sabbath. No, we don't, we just get bummed out. (laughs) We don't get a ticket. We do. We we do. We really feel like the blessing of the Sabbath, you know, that Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. We, We were like, boy, this is such a gift from God. And so I don't feel like we've let God down. I don't feel like we've let, um, anybody down when maybe my, myself, it's like myself down and the kids, the kids will be bummed out when we don't do Sabbath, which makes me really happy that they enjoy it that much. Um, but when we travel, like when we're with family or stuff like that, we have, we do Sabbath when we're home, but when we're traveling, which is a lot through the summer, we, we don't do it and we just catch it next time it comes around. Yes. (laughs) and make sure to take advantage of that. Um, I think it stems from what is your why? Like, why are you taking a Sabbath? Um, And that would determine whether you feel guilt or not. Do you feel pressure? This is to me. Well, I can ask Elisha too. Do you feel pressure to bounce back quickly after having each baby physically? I don't feel that much pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Elisha's never had to bounce back any time in his life. He just... Works out every day. It looks perfect. So, no, I don't feel pressure to bounce back quickly uh, based on anyone. I like to, when I say bounce back, I like to feel good as quickly as possible as soon as I have a baby. Hmm. Um, because for me, I just, 
I like to feel that way. <laughs> and I just feel more confident and all those things. So I really feel no external pressures. But I think it's funny because I put a lot of effort into like my clothes and my hair and all that stuff, like two weeks after having a baby. And it's funny when I look back and I'm like, why was I doing that? It's totally perfectly acceptable to be like still in your pajamas at that stage. But I think I'm so ready to just be like, I feel normal. I'm in clothes that fit, even if they're bigger. And I just want to feel good. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's not fun for me to not feel good, mm -hmm. but as far as like, as long as it takes my body to physically return to where it was pre baby, it's been longer with each child and I'm less stressed about it with each child. You know, my first, I was just like traumatized. And the second time I was like, it's going to happen. Third time, you know, the drill fourth time was like, okay, this is like two months longer, but in the big scheme of things, it's not that long. Yeah. So like, I'm not stressed with this baby. I know what to do. And I know that eventually I'll feel back to being healthy and strong and all put together again. So that's good. Yeah. I like it. Well, uh, real quick, you know, this was another one that I asked in that whole like onslaught of questions that I oh, thought were the same question. No, but how do you balance it all? I find myself implementing then failing. And no. I just think when it comes to anything that you're trying to improve in your life, you know, self-development, you know, personal development, self-help, uh, everything in that category, there's a lot of stigmas around it and there's a lot of platitudes and kind of like cliches, but I think something that Katie and I have found so helpful, because first off the concept, like, should we improve ourselves? I think we should like, should you become legalistic about it? No, like, like we are, as far as being a Christian, we are positionally righteous before our King. Thank God, because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, I think there are modifications that we can make in our life just to make our life better. Like even, even set like spiritual, like, like there, there are definitely ways that we are called to grow as Christians. But then I think that there are ways that we can choose to grow in, in our, in our practical life that maybe you might not be able to point to a Bible verse that, that are just helpful in life. And the problem then becomes not always hitting your ideal. And this is a reality in life is you've got an ideal and you're like, oh boy, if I could dial in my morning routine, like if I, that, that sounds so great going to bed at eight 30 and waking up at five 30 every day, going for a walk reading the Bible. It sounds so refreshing and it's a good ideal. And you try to implement that. And what happens almost every time is you fail to hit it to perfection, right? You, every time. Well, you don't, you don't, meaning like you're not going to, you're not going to do it seven days a week. I, I don't know of anybody that yeah, does yeah, that. Like, you're never going to hit that perfect standard. Yes, we don't do it. And that could be in your weights that you're trying to lose. It could be in the workout regimen you're trying to implement or the diet that you're trying to bring into your home. You've got this ideal and then you fail to hit it. And so all you do is you look at the failure. You're like, well, big fat failure that I am. You know, why did I, why did I just do this to myself? And that's all wrong because what you need to be measuring is the progress that you made. And so Katie and I, again, this is vernacular that Katie grew up with that is so accustomed to us because it's part of your father's coaching, you know, him coaching entrepreneurs. And it is remarkable to hear from people that are so successful, like people that are so much more successful than me when it comes to the, to the business realm and how they are so prone to only seeing their lack of what they 
you know, the, the, the gap between where they are and where they wanted to hit, like their failure to hit their ideal. And the true skill in growth is learning to measure your progress and look back and measure the growth that has occurred in your home. And so using the example of a miracle morning and you're like, boy, I try to implement, but then I fail, fail and fail is it's like, you've got to measure progress. Like maybe you didn't even set your, maybe you didn't even get up one time when you set your alarm for five 30, but you realize that you planned your day, all those nice days the night before. Does that make sense? You're like that was improvement. Like you had your workout clothes out or you, you know, you got your glass of water ready to drink the next morning. There is a win that you can identify. And then in looking at that, you're then able to implement more things and measure the progress with, with that. And I think we do that not, we do that constantly in every area of our life. We did that when we implemented Sabbath. Like if we said, okay, we're going to implement Sabbath this year. This is what was it? 2021 that we implemented that or mm-hmm. 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, we probably missed our first Sabbath. Like, was it, I think it was 2022. Last year was our first okay. full year. Yeah. We probably missed our first Sabbath. I, who knows? Maybe a few weeks into the year. I, don't, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. I think it was like three months in. The point is, is that we are far from perfect. We did not bat a thousand with our Sabbath. And yet that was the most, like, we, we view that as a win. And, and when you're able to train your brain to measure progress versus perfection, the lack thereof, then that keeps you actually on the path of self-improvement or self-development or what, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So my dad coaches for a program called strategic coach and they have this whole theory on the gap. Actually a good book to look up might be the gap in the gain where it explains this because you it's, it takes a lot of training in your brain and Elisha goes to strategic coach every quarter for business coaching. And it's so funny how we'll see over three months you start to be like, I know I'm in the gap. I know I'm in the gap. And it's just this place where you're measuring where you want to be. And the reason is, or the, 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 the thing is you're never going to be where you want to be because that keeps moving out in front of you. Even when you think you've achieved what you set out to achieve, it doesn't feel like that because the goal keeps moving in front of you. So regardless of how much you progress, if you don't learn how to measure and look back and see how far you've come from, you will always remain in that gap because you're never going to arrive. And I think that that's something that's really important for us is like you said, like looking back at 2020 and being like, wow, there are 52 weeks in a year. We had 41 Sabbaths. That's 41 more Sabbaths than we had in 2021. Like praise the Lord, what a gift that rest was. And so just thinking of growth that way. And then also just realizing that there are seasons for certain things to grow and we can't have everything on the front burner all at one time. So like, if I look at my last year, it was like, okay, last fall was, I was very intentional with doing a ton of research with the kiddos school and homeschooling and all those things. And then I kind of fall below that standard, but I maintain it for a while and then say health is really big and I'm making all these, you know, quantum leaps in health stuff this spring. And then I fall a little bit below that standard and I'm maintaining it. You aren't arriving at perfection in all these things. The goal was just to get a little bit better and then add that into your normal life and then get a little bit better in something else and add that into your normal life. And now I'm revisiting homeschooling. You know, like there's there's seasons of maintenance and then there's seasons of massive growth. And that's okay too. It's not like we're all just high level functioning in every area of our lives at, 
all times. Yeah. And the reason that this is so crucial to train your brain to think this way is because it's actually what changes your behavior. If you don't look at the progress and take motivation from that or inspiration from that, then you'll quit doing the very thing that got you that progress in the first place. Cause you don't see any point in keeping it going. You're like, well, what's the point again in trying to have a morning or what's the point again in trying to eat healthy? Like I clearly I failed. And then you've just, and then you become that person that is that you maybe I, I know I've been where you have the new year's resolution and then you just bail altogether right after three weeks. And, and everybody knows about that. Or you're on your Bible reading plan and you bail, you know, four weeks because you got behind versus saying, oh, if your goal is more like I want to because as as Christians, I think the 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 goal should be to continue to grow. Like we want to grow in our faith. We want to grow in our marriage. We want to grow in our ability to be parents. We want to grow in our effectiveness in the community. So you kind of like start out knowing, well, what's like, what's the destination? Like I, when we die and get to heaven, like that's, you know, like that we're closer to the Lord than, than we ever were, you know, before when we were younger. And so when you realize there really actually isn't a solid destination in any of these things, you really do need to embrace growth. And the only thing that's going to keep you growing is your ability to measure your progress. All right. I think that's it for this Q and A, right? Are you, you're looking, you said, let's wrap it up. And then you're looking at your list. No, oh, you have no, any more questions? No more pressing ones. <laughs> Crossing them out as we go. This is the problem with Q and A's is, is you guys ask so many questions that are so fun to answer. And then we could just sit here all day and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, thank you guys for asking your questions. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>